Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in all of our messiness and our brokenness, in our struggle and our lack of energy, acknowledging our propensity to be distracted. We trust that you are the stable one the mighty one, the one who takes the first step toward us. And so we pray in this time that your spirit would indeed be at work in our hearts and in our minds, that during this time we wouldn't simply be dependent upon our ability to concentrate and focus, but that your word would indeed go forward and do amazing things inside of each one of us. That, God, we are not here simply to hear an argument or a laid-out presentation, but that we would meet your Spirit in the dynamic of your love, trusting that these very moments have eternal consequences Even as we gather, whether in person or online, we pray for the rest of our congregation, all the others who follow Christ. And may you be glorified in all of this. We give you praise. In Christ's name, amen. I've made mention before that I like to hike. And there's these occasions, maybe you've experienced them before, when you've been out in the backwoods and you come to a spot where it's hard to discern where the path goes. It's not so much a fork in the road as a, 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 a cul-de-sac on a hiking trail. And you arrive at that spot and it, it's kind of an open spot and you're looking beyond that open spot and you're going, okay, where's the path? And maybe if you're with a group of people, you begin to spread out and you search around and and you're looking for that place that that looks like other people have walked there before that you might be able to follow. In fact, there have been times after looking and searching for such a path, I've followed it only to find that it it, it peters out, (laughs) that it it was the path that was truly no path. I, I was fooled. And it was folly to pursue it. And I'd had to return and, and look once again for where the true path was. Well, it turns out that that seems to be a description for a lot of Christian history. That we have, as a group, as a community, we have a pattern of embracing um, wrong paths. Paths that are no paths. And in the process of doing so, that there have been... Folks among us that end up uh, being uh, false prophets, kind of a, a scriptural term, false prophets or, or false teachers or, or false guides that say they know where we're to go, and yet it turns out that they 
lead us on paths that are no paths. We're turning our attention today in our We Are Different series as we're looking at the book of 2 Peter. We're looking at 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, there are 22 verses in this chapter, and we're not going to read all of them. We're, we're going to pay attention more to the final part. You see, at the, the first 11 verses of chapter uh, 2 in 2 Peter, there are a number of references to biblical stories and extra-biblical passages and historical and cultural references as well that it would be great fodder for a longer uh, Bible study class. But given our time and our opportunity that we have here today, it, it, we'll save that conversation for another time. We may reference some of it, but we won't go line by line there. Instead, let's pay attention more to verses 17 through 22 in chapter 2. With your Bibles open, let's go ahead and receive God's Word this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. Hear the Word of God. These false prophets, or false teachers, are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. What overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. May God bless this reading, and may God bless our conversation as well. So false paths um, can come with false guides. Someone says, hey, this is the way. I found it. Everybody over here, this has got to be the way. I know, follow me. And so let's spend a little time talking about false teachers. I think we've mentioned this website before. Maybe it was in one of Joss's sermons, or maybe you've just seen it yourself. But there is a website that uh, said, um, uh, rate my professor. Uh, where people go online and they, they you know, give little feedback about their, press, their, their professors. And by the way, it can be brutal. Uh, see if you've um, ever had professors like this. Here's one, one student wrote, <clears throat> He seems happy and teaches well, but there's just something off about him that I can't put my finger on. He smiles, but there's no warmth there. Just a terrible emptiness like you'd find in the rusting hull of a ship forgotten at the bottom of a dead sea. Something happened to him to make him this way. I do not know what it was. No one does. <laughs> oh, ouch. Or how about these quick ones like this? 
he reminds me of a disgruntled shopping mall Santa. Yeah. Or this is this guy. Uh, I don't wear my seatbelt driving to school because I want to die before I can uh, make it to this class. Wow. Or this one. Boring. But I learned there are 137 tiles on the ceiling. All right, so how many of you will be counting the number of planks on our ceiling uh, this morning? Or here's a final one. This person writes, you can't cheat in her class because no one knows the answers. Bring a pillow to the class so when you lose consciousness, your head won't slam on your desk. And bring a pillow for your pillow because your pillow will fall asleep too I eventually passed this class, but I had to sacrifice a chicken to the voodoo god Chango to pass it. Wow. Brutal reviews. Brutal reviews. Well, we get such an assessment out of Second Peter about the false teachers that he was referencing. It begins in verse 12 of chapter 2. It goes like this. But these, these false teachers like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Back during the time of Second Peter, that it was understood that you worked during the day and then you would gather and share in a meal and celebrate at the end of each day. But you would work during the day. But these characters are reveling in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. In other words, that they're sharing in the agape meal. They're sharing in this extended meal that involved communion. They're part of the Christian community, but they're doing these other things. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. And then we pick it up in verse 17, where we read, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. You just want to say to the author, don't hold back, right? Just let it out. Let it out. Share how you really feel. You know, it's not so much that Second Peter just has it in against these false teachers. It's more that there's an, a danger that's associated with them. And it comes to us from the text we read. The danger involves the fact that these false teachers tend to be predators. We read in verse 18 these words. It says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. In the time of Second Peter, at least the uh, situation in which uh, this letter comes forward, these false teachers were saying that there is no judgment at the end. There will be no judgment. And so you have freedom now to live as you want. And when it uses this word for entice, it says that they, uh, they lure, they bait, they beguile. 
these who have just escaped, these, these newly uh, committed Christians, and they come into the community and these false teachers are enticing them or baiting them or beguiling them to take this false path. False teachers prey on others. The second thing we learn is that false teachers also enslave. In verse 19, we come to the words, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. The, um, a, a way of understanding that last line, that what a person succumbs to, to that the person is enslaved. What a person succumbs to, to that a person is enslaved. We've heard this before from Scripture. You know, when Jesus goes, listen, you can't serve both God and money. That you can't because whatever you begin to serve, whatever you succumb to, whatever you give yourself to, whatever becomes the master of your life, to that you will be enslaved. And so these false teachers are calling people to a path that enslaves the people. It defines for them what walking with Christ would look like. So false teachers prey on others. They, they enslave people to a false teaching, a false way. And then we learn that false teachers actually create a worse situation uh, for people in the community. We find this in verses 20 through 22. Just recalling those words. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, they've said yes to Jesus They've said yes, and they've left the trapping of being outside of a relationship with God. They've left the trappings of the ways of this world. They've come into the community. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. You see, these others, when they were outside the faith and someone told them about Jesus in this new way, they had clarity that, that they weren't connected to Jesus and, and now they can be connected to Jesus and this Jesus came and, and provided for their salvation, provided for their intimacy with God. And they could make that journey by God's grace, God working in their hearts, making them new. Only to find themselves in the midst of the Christian community, these false teachers saying, this way, over here on this path, a path that leads nowhere. A path that's not a path. And once on that path, even though people are using the right language, they're, they're talking about the Apostles' Creed or whatever it might be. They're saying, listen, this is what Christianity is. They're going about a life that is uh, separate from what Jesus described. You see, with false teachers, there's danger. It seems that this example of false teaching is, does not stand alone. It's not like this was the only occurrence, and thank goodness we had Second Peter to speak to these false teachers. It, it, it seems as we look back over church history that, that it's actually quite common that there are false teachers in our midst. And when we take a look at it, we can find that false teaching t 
tends to gather around uh, a number of different platforms, but at least these three uh, main areas. Let's take a look at three main false paths that people run into. And these things have, uh, may not have any doctrinal differences. People may celebrate the Apostles' Creed or, or celebrate that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and yet these paths are then pursued. So they consist of power and purity and purpose. And so there's this enticement that, that let's go and you go about a way of power that, that will claim Jesus, but the way we talk about and behave in power is very different than what he taught. Or, or let's claim Jesus, but let's embrace a purity that's very different than what Jesus talked about. Or let's claim Jesus, but we'll adopt a purpose for our lives that, that is very different than the purposes Jesus laid out. You know, even in our own time, we've found that within Christian confines, when it comes to power, there's been this sense of bigger is better. Let's have bigger buildings. Let's have bigger programs. Let's have bigger publishing companies. Let's, let's have bigger influence in politics. In fact, in order to do that, let's give ourselves freedom to force and to control and to dominate. I recently uh, listened to a podcast on, uh, um, uh, that involved the author of the book, uh, uh, Jesus and John Wayne. And she was pointing out that even during this time of, of my ministry and, and being involved in the church, there was this, there was this sense of cultural wars, like that, that Christians are going to have war with the culture around us and, and let's go after it and let's, let's take on the culture and we'll battle them and we'll fight them. And all the while, we know that when it comes to power, uh, Jesus called us to love our enemies. Uh, and we can turn it so quickly saying, this is the path, here's the path, all under the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he described uh, power, he said stuff like, you know, if you want to be one of my followers, uh, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. He went on to say in, in um, uh, Matthew, um, the Gospel of Matthew, he he said in, uh, ver in chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, he said, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. A very different teaching on power. When it comes to purity, we know that Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And yet there seems to be this pattern that over the centuries that, that when there is a new way that the culture uh, defines boundaries for people, that, that there are people within the church under the name of Jesus that will take a, a fresh look at Scripture and, and they'll come up with boundaries that more align with culture than with what God has revealed in his words. Jesus, when he talked about purity, he, he talked about it not just being this external list of things you do, but this dedication in your heart that would be toward God's holiness. He says it doesn't, it's not um, what goes into a person's uh, mouth that defiles them. It's not about keeping these, these purity laws out. It's about what comes out of a person that, that reveals who they are as a follower of Christ, the holiness that God has accomplished inside of them. And it's so important that, that Jesus said, listen, it would be better if your eye was causing you to sin that you would pluck out your eye. If your hand was causing you to sin that you would cut off your hand. Of course, he's using exaggeration, hyperbole here. 
But he's underscoring how important purity is. And yet, when it comes to creating false paths, there can be many false teachers in our midst that will corrupt the purity taught in Scripture. The, the final one, purpose. Maybe you've heard this before from different pulpits uh, in our communities where we tend to make that really it's all about God wants you to be happy or God wants you to be comfortable or, or God wants you to be wealthy or God wants you to fight for your, white, your rights, that you would fight for your rights at all times or that we would build a city on the hill and we'd be our nation over all the other nations and this, of course, would honor God. But we know in Scripture that when Jesus talked about purpose for his people, he made it quite clear. He goes, listen, these are the greatest commands, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. He said in the book of Acts, he goes, and you will be my witnesses you're going to represent me. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. This is your purpose. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you will represent me in this world. You'll represent my way. When Paul takes this, and he, and he calls us to humility in Philippians 2, he goes, listen, take on the way of Christ, who, who did not consider equality with God a thing to hold on to, but he let go of that. and He took the form of a servant, even to the point of death on the cross. Our purpose is to represent Jesus in this world. In Matthew 20, 28, verses 18 through 20, he said, this is your purpose. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. That's our purpose. It, a funny thing here, not so funny, ha-ha, but a, an interesting, in fact, a disconcerting thing. Whenever we change the teaching on power, purity, and purpose, we end up representing a very different person of Jesus. We, we create a false path, a path that goes nowhere, a, a non-path, because it's not the real Jesus. And we take the wrong paths in the name of Jesus. We preach a Jesus who doesn't exist. We may use the right words, but we present a distorted picture. All right, so false teachers false teachers around these false ways. Why, do, why does all this matter? Jesus made that statement in Matthew chapter 7. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You know, when you're hiking and you come to that uh, backwoods cul-de-sac, you know, you're actually looking for the path more traveled, right? <laughs> yes, you're, you're off the beaten path. Yes, you're not on the highway. But, but you are looking now at this point because you don't want to get lost. And so you're looking for where have more people hiked before? You don't want to find something that just goes off nowhere. You don't want to be lost. And so you look for where more people have hiked before. Well, it seems that that can be the tendency in Christianity, that we would judge the right path by where more people are going. But Jesus warns us, 
the way is narrow. The way is narrow. And it may be hard that um, uh, it turns out that the wide wrong path, the one that's taken by more people, that, that it ends up causing these things in our life. In fact, if we look back at the, at the very beginning of the Bible, we discover that, that even from the beginning, that, that the wrong path results in things like shame and separation and judgment. That when that first couple, when God created that first couple and, and he says, listen, this is the path. The path is to not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet that first couple chose the path that involved eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as they did what they experienced, they went from having no shame to having shame of themselves. They went from having no separation. They went from having great fellowship and connection and intimacy to, to having separation with God and, and separation with each other. And as a result, judgment is announced and pronounced upon them. But the right path, the right path, the way of God, the way of Jesus Christ. I love the way that uh, Paul ends up uh, the letter that we call Second Corinthians, that Paul ends that up with this blessing. He goes, in, that, the, that the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be yours. And so the right path, the right path, the path that actually goes somewhere, the path of Jesus Christ, the true path, the narrow path, it happens to be this path that is defined by the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's why this matters. So what can we do about it? We know that there can be um, big name false teachers. We know that there can be people who have positional authority that are false teachers. It turns out that, that as we embrace a false way, we too ourselves can become false teachers because we're influencing others and we're pointing out, hey, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. Well, what can each one of us do to better discern what the right path is? I am excited that we're going to be doing this study in the fall, this this good and beautiful God study. It's all part of our I belong and to know the God to whom we belong and, and do we have this right understanding of who God is. That's fantastic. But the author, as the author wrote the book, that he included these little sections uh, that uh, he refers to as soul training. And Joss has talked about it before. I've talked about it before. Other people in our congregation have talked about it. That over the history of humanity, over the history of the Christian church, there, have been this under, there has been this understanding that's taken place of these spiritual exercises, these spiritual disciplines, this soul training that we can do to, to keep us aware of the influence of other things around us. You know, there's this, um, uh, if we step back and we look at influence on our lives, we... Um, uh, and let's, let's make an assumption. Let's make a couple of assumptions here. One assumption is that, that uh, we would come to church at least once a week to worship together. And I know that may not be our pattern right now, but, but let's say we all gather once a week for one hour to worship with each other, uh, to lift up the name of God, to, to pray together, to hear from God's word. And we're doing that one hour a week. And then let's say 
the rest of the week, we limited ourselves to one hour of each of the following. No more. Like we didn't engage in any more than one hour to each of the following. Only one hour of watching TV. Only one hour of listening to popular music. Only one hour of reading mainstream fiction. Only one hour of scrolling through our social media accounts. Only one hour of working within our schools or our teams or our company's culture. Only one hour of shopping and or being advertised to and marketed by local and global entities. Only one hour of normalizing ourselves to the fads and trends and of our friends and neighbors. Only one hour of daydreaming and fantasizing about winning the lotto, spending our retirement or earning more money. We only spent one hour succumbing to the dysfunctional patterns embedded in our families. We only gave one hour to being selfish or insecure or self-righteously angry. Even if we limited ourselves to one hour of each of those, it's still a 10 to 1 ratio. 10 to 1 ratio of, of gathering then to hear the word of God and to be in prayer with each other and to, and to lift up God. If, if that were our balance. And, and so we have these soul training exercises that we're going to be learning about. But what can we do about learning to discern the right path. We can engage ourselves in the activities throughout the week that draw us closer to God. We've talked about being in life groups and reading Scripture. and We're going to explore what does it mean to be silenced and to spend time in solitude. What is it to make sure we get enough sleep? What is it to, to change the pattern of our hurriedness so that we can have space in our lives, that, that we can be paying attention to what God is up to. Maybe you've heard this quote from G.K. Chesterton before. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. What if we were to change that? What if we were to embrace following Christ together? To seek out his very different path, to follow him on the path Jesus has defined for us, to make sure that we are aware of what the false teachers are saying, but we would choose not those paths. What if we were to adopt the powerless power path? What if we were to adopt the heart-level purity that Jesus taught? What if we were to adopt the God-centered purposes that Jesus taught? What if we were to truly have Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you care about our fidelity with you. God, we are grateful that you have come toward us in Jesus Christ. I confess my own uh, propensity, my own capacity to adopt false ways that just seem easier, that seem to have more people gathered around them. God, I so want to be defined by the grace of Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Would you keep calling us back 
to the way of Christ, to our different path, to the narrow way that in our lives, other people would see that here truly is the path to take. That we wouldn't become entangled once again in the ways of this world, but that we would be witnesses in the world for, our, for an alternative way of living, the way, the way of life. Thank you, God. We give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.